Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. This morning we've got a speaker that I really respect. And actually, if you're paying attention and it's Tim, it kind of blows my, you know that it's Tim, it kind of blows my setup for saying how much I appreciate the depth and reality of Tim's experience with the Word of God and really his interchange with the Lord in the deep places of life. And so Tim is going to be sharing the word with us this morning, and it'll be a real blessing to us. Go ahead, Tim. Uh, okay, so I liked how you used the word meat with a vegetarian, John. That was good. <laughs> the meat. He's going to be sharing the meat with you today. I want to just, uh, wow, um, I got to buzz through a lot of things. So my prayer has been as I've been really just listening to the Lord um, over the last several weeks. And I've been doing a lot of listening. In fact, I told John, instead of telling him how it's going or how far I am, I, I and Liz, I've been telling them, I'm just, how's it going? I said, I'm just trying to listen. I'm just trying to listen to what the Lord has. So I'm really going to buzz through some things. But my prayer is that um, that the Lord will take something, even if it's one thing, to put into your uh, into your basket today, into your heart, because uh, there's going to be a whole bunch. You can't probably take it all. It'll be coming quickly. But just take one thing, and my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will take one thing and say, this this was for you. This is why you're here today. Um, so, Lord, I just pray that that I would disappear while I'm up here, that your word would be lifted, because your word is good. So, God, I just pray that all that is eternal and right and good and loving from your hand, uh, that your truth would just sink into our lives today in your name. Amen. So I uh, I just want to say this, two foundations, two things before we jump in to this message. So quickly, one of those, and these are really important things. We hear about them, we know them, but it's really, really important that we rethink and re-embrace this. The very first thing I want to talk about um, I'm going to use an illustration of, of from college. I, I, in my freshman year, I was at college and it was with four guys in the same room and, uh, and I had this great job of cleaning the bathrooms, the men's bathrooms. Uh, it was one of those, it was one of those jobs you got as part of work study. It was not very much fun, but it got me some money. And, uh, and one day I came into my dorm room the guys were there, and on my desk was a letter, and it was sealed in an envelope. And I opened it up, and my heart sank, and it started pounding hard because it was from the dean of students or somebody big in the college. And it, it, it let me know that they had been through earlier, and they'd done their walkthrough, and how disappointed and how upset they were with the conditions of the bathroom in the men's dorm. And as I read that, and I probably went pale, and I looked at my roommates, they had their heads in their pillow, laughing as hard as they could. And as I looked over at the desk, there was a typewriter with smoke coming off it. Yes, we used, we used typewriters back then. But had I known that there was a person behind the letter, and who did that, I would have known what was going on. So as we come into God's word, we're talking about 
not just an archaic book, not just words from long ago. We're talking about a living, breathing God that's behind the words that we're going to share today. Um, the other thing is the word God. So whatever comes into your mind when you think about God, uh, there are some images that we might have. So there's going to be a couple up on the screen. Um, I, I don't know what your image of God is when you talk about God, but some of those images are, um, are, you know, typically they can be something that's very, very angry. We see an angry God. We see a God that um, maybe is uh, not very loving, and we, we can't really put a picture with who God is very well. Um, so what I want to do is I want us to be willing to say, okay, I'm going to take these pictures of God. I'm going to put them aside. Now, that's hard to do because I've just put pictures up on the screen, isn't it? But, but the pictures of God that are in your mind, whether they match this or not, I ask that we put those aside. And I ask that we just say, okay, I'm going to be open to something new. Because really, there is no picture for God. And it can't, there cannot be a picture that's painted really for God. And actually the best picture that can possibly be painted is the impression of his work in our heart and in his spirit. That's the best picture we had. So let's embrace God for all that he's revealed himself to be today. Uh, if you want a good picture of God, you want to see what God's like, it's very clear. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the very image of the invisible God. And Hebrews 1.3 says he brightly, Jesus brightly reflects God's glory and his exact representation of his being. Or another version says, the sun perfectly mirrors God and is stamped with God's nature. So we have these two things before we dive in. One is that there is the word of God with a person behind those words, not just empty. And then there is God himself in all that he is. So as we talk today about the potter and the clay, let's remember that God is all of who he is and all of who he's revealed himself to be. He's not just one piece of it. Because we're going to spend some time talking a little bit about God's anger today. Not a popular topic. Um, the potter and the clay in scripture. There's a couple different scriptures that uh, I focused on. Although the, the story of the potter and the clay actually is in the Bible in different places. But in Isaiah and Jeremiah, Jeremiah and Sadie, if you're available, if you want to come up and grab the mic from uh, John... We're gonna um, we're gonna get you set up on this. I asked Sadie if she would read the scriptures um, for us today, and uh, uh, I love the translation for this. And uh, Sadie was willing. She said that'd be great. At least she said that to your dad. I hope. And, uh, and I'm so glad. So I'm gonna let Sadie read these for us. The Potter and the Clay. The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, go down to the potter's shop and I will speak to you there. So I did as he told me and found the potter working at his wheel. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped, so he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. Then the Lord gave me this message. O oh Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to this clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? What, does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, Stop! You're doing it wrong! Does the pot exclaim, How clumsy can you be? 
thanks, Sadie. I really appreciate you doing that. Yeah. So the 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 clay and the potter, incredible story. And and it would be easy for us to just look at that and think about that as this oppressive God who just crushes the clay and does whatever he wants with it and says, I can do whatever I want, doggone it. That's that's sometimes how we see that this story. We say it's a God that's uh, that, that's vindictive, that's angry, that's harsh, and and He just wants to shape this clay and make it the way. Don't don't you talk back to me, because I'm the Potter. And that's not what's going on here. That's not what's going on here. You know, I'm going to show you some pottery actually. So Isaac, when he was younger, uh, just for the sake of illustration and to break it up, make sure you're still with me. Um, uh, so. Uh, this is kind of nice, actually. This obviously was turned, and uh, and he did a nice job with this. I, I like this. Uh, by the way, he wanted to make sure that I told you he was much younger when he did these things that I'm going to show you, okay? He, did, he, he This was not a product of his art school uh, that he went downtown to. So, um, yeah, nice job. Like that one. One of the things Isaac was into was octopus, octopi, octopuses. I don't know what to call them. <laughs> so, uh, so he decided that he would... Uh, create a teapot uh, in the form of an octopus. I thought that was really, really creative, actually. Put a lot of thought into that. So we've got an octopus here. Um, my favorite is when he was interested in tornadoes. And uh, he did the rolling method. And uh, so he, here's, the, here's the tornado. Uh, there's a door inside the tornado. A woman wrapped in the tornado, a pig. <laughs> and there's a cow. Uh, yeah, it's pretty fun. The, the bottom are the, uh, you know, the farm crops and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, what an incredible potter you were back in that day, Isaac. Um, when we talk about the potter and the clay in these two scriptures, we're talking about a time when Jeremiah and Isaiah were talking to, or they were prophets to the people of Israel and Judah. And... Uh, God had revealed himself to them, but there was a big problem. They had lost their regard for God in their lives. They were living only for themselves. In fact, they were so self-centered, and they'd broken their covenant with God, and they were worshiping idols and false gods and gods from other nations. They were losing touch with God's heart, which was to practice righteousness and mercy and their concern for the poor, the vulnerable, and those matters of justice. The people of God had lost this. So from both of these men come these warnings. Um, so when we talk about the clay, I'm just going to talk about the clay for a second. Uh, really quickly. The clay, first of all, when we're, when we're talking about this, it represents a symbol of the relationship that God had with his people. What I love about the potter and the clay is that I don't have to guess what God was getting at. The symbol is right there. He doesn't have, it's, it's God with his people and his relationship with them. So it's a direct symbol of that. The first thing about the clay is that, um, that it is common. The potter's house that does the work. It might be outside the village uh, because it's uh, you know because of the fire and all of that kind of stuff. But depending on the location of where that was, the clay wasn't hard to find. It was very common. It was ordinary. Isn't it great that God uses ordinary material in this in this illustration? 
he uses clay. It's something that people could relate to. I mean, for all their cups and their pitchers and their containers, he uses clay, not gold and not silver. That was rare for most of the people at that time. The second thing about the clay, so there's common, and there were imperfections in the clay. All of it had some measure of imperfection, different kinds. Um, and the people could well relate to this as well. It had to be worked out of the clay because they knew that the integrity of the jar, container, cup, whatever it is, was compromised. And then the time was wasted and they got a bad jar. So they knew that it was important before going into the fire that as many of those imperfections and impurities were worked out of the clay. So the clay was common. It had imperfections. And then finally it had legs. The clay that we're talking about today is the kind of clay that's really unique. It has legs on it. It's it's the kind of clay that can inch its way off the potter's wheel and decide to run away. And at the same time, it's the same kind of clay that can decide to run back up, crawl on the potter's wheel, and lay itself out before the potter and say, make of me, use me in the way that you see best because you are good. You are faithful. You are all the things that we we spoke about, even in the midst of the struggles and the challenges. And, and, And I don't know everyone that's here. I know some of you that are here. And I know my own life, and I know what's going on in John's life, and I know what's going on in so many people's life in the past. So we don't say this lightly. When we sing these songs, we don't sing them because we're in some sort of Pollyanna world. We don't sing and dance because it's easy to. We choose to be to be praising God in the midst of it because we know he's good, even though I don't feel like he's good. We know he's faithful, even though I don't feel like he's faithful. We know that he will bring good for his purposes, even though this feels horrible and ugly. It has legs. So it's common. It has imperfection. It has legs. So what's the process? Let's talk about that. Well, first of all, the process, it has a purpose. There's a practical function to this. I mean, the potter is making something that can be used. He has a purpose in his mind about this. So he's creating something that is uh, is useful, but at the same time, and just because he can, he creates something that is unique and beautiful just because he can. You know, Isaac could have done this in so many different ways, right? And it's functional. I don't know. What is it? Is it an ashtray, Isaac? What is it? I don't know what it is. But whatever it is, it's useful. But in addition to that, we had color and then glaze. The potter can do that just because he can. Just because he can in our lives. There's a picture of, uh, I have a picture of Isaac. We were just in D.C. In, uh, at the visiting and we were at the Vietnam War Memorial at the Black Wall and then a little bit away from there is a statue of the Vietnam vet nurses uh, and, and their contribution to the war as well. And I have a picture at nighttime of Isaac near this statue and um, and he's he's down and he's right, you know, he's not back looking at it and admiring it. He's right up next to it. <clears throat> and one of the reasons that he's up next to it, because we talked about it later, is because the artist had left it globby and fingerprinty and it it wasn't smooth and perfect he'd left his his handprints in there and he'd left his globby you know clay moldings in there it was unique and yet it was beautiful because it had the print of the master artist in it 
Uh, so the process, it has a purpose. It's messy. This process is messy, okay? There's water, there's pressure, and there's even fire involved. The potter may take the work of his, the thing that he's crafting, and he may take it, and he, we may think it looks great, but he may take it, and he might destroy it, throw it back on the table, pound it back, and say, it's not shaping out the way I wanted. I'm going to reshape it. I'm going to be patient. I'm patient with this. I, I want to see something different. He doesn't give up. And in our lives, this usually refers to pain. But I want to encourage you, and I think God would want to encourage you, uh, don't be afraid of brokenness. I'm not inviting it. I don't go looking for it. But he says, don't be afraid of brokenness and weakness and even imperfections. Under the hand of the potter, he can create in us something that we can't even ever imagine. Uh, I went to Calvin College for a short time just to pick up my teaching degree. And uh, there was an uh, art teacher there, and he came in and he shared with us about one of the uh, one of his art uh, clay statues that he'd done. And he had done a small clay statue of Jesus. And uh, so he'd done all his work, all this stuff we talked about, uh, just getting the imperfections out, working it through, and shaping it and putting it in the fire. And then when it came out of the fire, obviously there were couple imperfections and minerals that he didn't get out. But miraculously, there were two imperfections, one on each hand of Jesus, that had melted and dribbled down on each of the hands of Jesus. That's spooky. That's incredible. But it is a story that shows us that the potter, even with our imperfections, even with the things that we're broken with, can use them, make something beautiful out of them. So the process has a purpose. It's messy at times, but here's most importantly, it's personal. It's a personal process. It's hands-on. The potter, the potter isn't far away watching it from here, watching over what's, there's a closeness and there's an intimacy with this whole process. He sees something there and he brings it into being. Something that wasn't there before, he brings it into being. He sees someone that no one else sees and brings them to life, real life. Main part of what I wanted to share with you is related to the potter. Because kind of the title of this left an impression on me before I ever started working on it. And that was this message, and that was um, the heart of the potter. And that's been with me for a long time until I started listening to the Lord and putting things together. I'm going to talk a little bit about the heart of the potter. Remember those angry pictures? Let's go back to those in our mind for a second. I'll let you go back and visit it just for a second. This this wasn't comfortable for me because I wanted to come up here and I wanted to talk about all of the good things about God that we love to talk about. Um. I wanted to talk about his love and his kindness and all of those good things. And that is warm and fuzzy. But I was in a portion of scripture in Isaiah and Jeremiah that talks about his anger. And I said, how am I going to do this? People are going to walk out. They won't like this. I probably won't get paid like I thought I was going to get paid, right? <laughs> it's it's not going to turn out well. So <laughs> it would have been more comfortable. All of us want to focus on the characteristics of God that make us comfortable. But here's the thing. 
We don't have that luxury. If we're talking about God, the God of the Bible, we take all of who he is and all of who he's revealed himself to be. So my question then was, two days ago, I started asking the question, well, why can't God be angry? You get angry. I get angry. Why are we, we say, oh, it's, it's perfectly fine. All of us get angry. God better not get angry. The wrath of God, all of that. We, we, we somehow hold him in contempt because he gets angry or we read about him getting angry. Somehow it's okay for us to get angry though. But, um, usually our anger, it's pretty imperfect. It's, uh, it's usually broken and it's definitely misdirected. It's not the same kind of anger from the Lord. He's our creator. He's our sustainer. He knows exactly the plans that he has for us. If we will be the clay and follow and trust, humble ourselves, submit ourselves to his hands. So this kind of anger that I want to talk about briefly is, I'm not talking about abusive, irrational, bloodthirsty, vindictive, for no good reason kind of anger. I'm talking about the anger that comes from a heart of so much love and care for his people. The Bible says you know, if you love your children, you'll discipline them. We have a lot of children to discipline in this in this church, okay? There's a lot of discipline, not abuse. Not abuse, but discipline if you love them. In the same way, God, if he loves his children, he'll discipline us. He'll mold us. And he'll do it out of his love for us, and it'll be it'll be better than any earthly parent could do. So in Isaiah and Jeremiah, here's what we see. We see this rejection, this wandering, uh, this struggle with their disobedience, um, their struggle with God's offer of forgiveness to them, and they slap him in the face over and over again. And then we read this little section about God's anger, and we might go, there it is, God's wrath, his anger. That's the God that I want nothing to do with. But you, you have to realize that God in his word says he is slow to anger. When he made a covenant with his people, it was, they broke it. And he waited 900 years. 900 years. I don't see that as somebody that's flipping off really quickly on someone. 900 years to, to woo them back to him. Now, dating's different now. There isn't a lot of wooing going on, okay? We don't woo our women. I don't even know if I know what wooing means, but I think I got it. Okay? It's drawing them to you, making that interest happen, wooing them back to his heart. 900 years of revealing himself and showing himself, I love you this much. Now I'm a little angry. <laughs> now I'm a little angry. So I'm going to give you one more vision. Uh, Jeremiah, go down, take a look at the potter, see what he's doing, and share this with the people. There's one more attempt that God has to show them the potter and the clay and an image of his love for them and what and who he is. He certainly has every right to squash us <laughs> as the creator and to put his thumb on us and go like this and not listen to us. But he doesn't do that. He waits patiently for us to return to him, to crawl up on that table and say, here I am. Here I am, Lord. So so what's the potter's heart, heart for us, really? Relationship. Relationship. That's the wonder of it all. His heart for us is relationship. And yes, it's a relationship with Mercy Hill as a church here in Munster and relationship for his, his church and believers across the world. But more amazing is his, his desire and his passion, God's passion 
for an intimate relationship with each one of us personally. See, he doesn't just say, hey, I just kind of want to deal with the corporate church. Okay, I want to deal from afar with the church across the world. He says, I can handle that. And not only can I love and handle that church, I can handle this church in Mercy Hill and in Lansing and Crown Point. I can handle that too. And I want the intimacy there. But one step further, I, I want your heart personally. I want to live in you. I want a personal relationship that's deep and intimate. That only comes through putting our faith in Jesus, hopping on that potter's table and saying, uh, Lord, I'm yours. Now let me really know you like never before. Forgive me for running my own life, which is what the Israelites were doing. Make this clay whatever you want. The Israelites and the, the people of Israel and Judah um, sometimes did that and sometimes didn't. And they paid dearly for that. Out of God's love for them, he judged. So I want to say to you, we've got the anger. We've got the wrath of God in these different slices of scripture. It's there. It's who he is. But what's the heart of God? Is it that he's mostly angry all of the time? A vindictive God? Here's what his heart is. And here's what I want to share with you as we get ready to close. The heart of the one that we speak of today, the potter, is near to the brokenhearted in Psalm 34. He's the shepherd in Psalm 23. He's slow to anger in Proverbs 3. He is the father who disciplines us out of his love for us in Hebrews 12. He is Jesus who didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved in John 3. He gives grace to the weary in Isaiah 40. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance, it says in Romans 8, in Romans 2. And as we wait on him, he restores our soul. He sings over over us. We are his joy in Zephaniah. God gives grace to the humble. He's called our comforter and our father. You see, this isn't about, this is not about rules and regulations. This is about having intimacy with the father through faith in, in his son, Jesus. You see, God doesn't want a relationship with your church attendance. God doesn't want a relationship with your good deeds. God wants a relationship intimate with you personally through his son, Jesus. So as um, as the worship team comes up, I'm so appreciative uh, that the worship team has been willing to tag an extra song on that I asked them that they would do um, called The Potter's Hand. And as they're coming up, um, I'm just going to throw out some questions to you. I don't have the answers, and I'm not going to answer them for you. But they're questions that come from this. Because as we're exploring God in this season of our series, the exploring God brings us questions that are honest in our hearts and honest before God, and he can handle the questions. So my questions to you about this message of the potter being God and we're the clay. Now, first thing is, do you believe this? Do you believe it? Is this just a simple, cute, quaint, and ancient story with some great symbolism, or is it something much more powerful? Uh, I'm going to decide that it's something much more powerful than that. Is this life merely? Is this life merely about the clay, which is us? Is it just about me? Is the end of life about me? Is that it? Do we interrupt and hinder the potter as he works on us, or how about this when he's working on others? Are we part of the hindrance to that? 
When was the last time you had a good and honest heart-to-heart with the potter? Not just using his name or passing thought or even going to church. Lots of people go to church and quite frankly never have a heart-to-heart with God himself. When's the last time you had a heart-to-heart? So Jesus is wooing you and me constantly to himself. Is it time to respond with total surrender? On the table, I'm the clay, you're the potter. Claim my life for your honor, for your glory.